I really want to do it as my job and full time, but I don't have the bookings. Uh, and if I play somewhere, it's usually also for free. And they said like, well, I can help you with that. Department. Backstage, Dennis Breyer. It's Dance Department backstage, uh, well, yeah, behind the scenes in uh, the magical world of electronic music. And today, my special guest on the show, uh, Reinier Zonneveld. Hey. Hello. How, How are you, doing? man? <laughs> All good, and you? Yeah, I'm doing doing fine. Yeah, doing fine. Well, a bit fed up with uh, lockdowns and stuff and really looking forward to festival life, but... Yeah, yeah who isn't? Uh, yeah. yeah, what can you do? Nothing. What can you do? Nothing, no. So, so you just turned uh, 30, right? Yeah. 30th of January. Yeah. How was that? It's a bit weird because usually, uh, yeah, the last years basically, I was always uh, playing somewhere in the weekend and then sort of combining just my gig with the celebration. All my friends would come and uh, we have a great party. Um, yeah, and this year it was uh, suddenly very quiet. <laughs> a bit boring. <laughs> yeah, boring. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's also a bit weird to turn like um, yeah, after an amazing year before Corona and a uh, really good year plan for 2020 which is now 2021 2022 let's see whenever it happens um and then suddenly everything stops you do a step back and you have a, l- a lot of time in the studio and also to think about stuff uh about life and then suddenly you turn ourselves to 30 uh, which is also a big milestone yeah but a really weird milestone in a year like this but uh yeah still here still going strong so uh, yeah. going very strong because we play a lot of your music on dance department for the last uh, years Um, for you, it started like with the, with the touring and the breakthrough that was about 2016, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, I was basically the, my first official gig with a flyer and everything. I think was uh, around 2010 somewhere, and before I played some illegal parties mainly. And from that moment, like for my first gig on, I always played live. So I came in a very small state with. 10 synthesizers and uh, analog mix, uh, mixing uh, a <laughs> complete studio. From, yeah, a complete <laughs> studio. And uh, also an external hard drive that I found out on my first gig doesn't work when the subwoofer <laughs> goes, goes on. It was like one of these old school spinning uh, yeah, disc things. Spinning discs. So, oh, uh, so basically all the um, uh, loops and samples I had from my live set stored were suddenly not working. And oh. I had to do every, everything improvising with the synthesizers and the drum computers. But uh, I was so excited by playing um, uh, for a crowd uh, that it actually turned out really nice. And I think it was one of the best sets from the years afterwards. Like, uh, uh, it was really, really super nice. Even still, if I listen back to it today, I'm still impressed. Like, wow, they really <laughs> did a really good job back then. Yeah. It took me some years even to catch up on that level. And um, I think, yeah, then in 2013 till 2015, I got sometimes a chance to play uh, a big state as an opener. Um, because I had releases that were uh, pretty successful, like all the the big uh, big acts from the time, Richie Halting, Carl Cox, Adam Bayer, Pampot, but even uh, Chesto and Armour van Buren would sometimes play a track. Uh, so basically a very broad spectrum of DJs. And that all accumulated, I think, in the summer of 2015. Uh, I had the chance to play like the stream of Awakenings. So there was like a little box backstage at Awakenings where they did a stream with Beatport. I always really wanted to play there, so it was almost the real thing. But then we went to the festival to party with my friends, and literally at every stage, uh, every day they would play like two, three, four tracks by me in the set. So I was there standing all the time, oh, what the fuck, it's wow. my track. And it went completely... Am I dreaming? Is yeah, this real? De- definitely. It was, yeah. it was almost as beautiful as playing there yourself, because you can hear the reaction of the crowd, and it yeah. went crazy. That's magic. And But yeah. I also was a bit frustrated, because I thought like, I know this music works, everybody's playing it, 
but I don't get the chance to do it myself on a regular basis. Like, and if I would play, people would really like it. And I had sort of small group of fans from all the illegal raves that I played and uh, people that would always come, like very diehard fans already, even though it was only maybe 50 or 100 people or 200 at some point. But they would always come and they really liked it. But still, I really didn't really get that regular booking schedule that you need as a DJ. I think when I finished my studies in 2015, I did uh, two masters at the university, uh, totally unrelated to music. Um, but I wanted to finish it just because, uh, yeah, you started it, you invest a lot of time and money and it would be a waste to not do it. Yeah. Made it also super stressful. Like you want to party yourself, you play illegal raves. <laughs> I was basically making music all day and then I also yeah. had to learn for the exam. So I was- You did a master corporate finance and real estate. So <laughs> yeah, that, was a, that was kind of heavy stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was barely sleeping, like maybe yeah. two, three hours per night. I would be- Always when you have the accent, um, you would get super good ideas. And I was like, I'm not going to make music this week because I'm going to study. And then you get all these crazy ideas. And I was like, fuck, I have to make this because this is too good. And uh, yeah, basically you wouldn't sleep at all and it would go crazy. But when I finished that, suddenly, uh, I think Oliver Koletsky, I saw him playing a track of me at the ADE on a video. And then I sent him an email with, I think, six demos, six tracks. And he, uh, he just sent back like, wow, this is fucking amazing. We have to do something with this. And he signed an EP for uh, January 2016. I think he called me on New Year's Eve and he said like, hey, how are you doing with bookings? And do you need some help? And uh, what do you want to do with music? And I said like, yeah, I really want to do it as my job and full time, but I don't have the bookings. Uh, and if I play somewhere, it's usually also for free. Uh, so yeah, I also have to pay some food, you know? And, yeah. um, and he said like, well, I can help you with that. And yeah, so many people say things like this. So I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, all good. Probably uh, out of the ball somewhere. On the New Year's Eve, you know. Out like Stockler. But uh, then so, like a, a month later or something, I get an email from the agency uh, uh, from, from uh, Steel for Talent. That was the label, mm-hmm. Oliver Koleski. And he basically booked me for a couple of months on all the shows that he was playing in Germany, he would book me as the support act, but he didn't let me open, but he p- let me play peak time or a closing. Cool. And that was super nice. And then I got the chance to play for his crowd. It was really big to play my music and my live set. And it would go completely nuts and people loved it. And that went so fast because you get the chance to play for so many people there that it really exploded in a couple of months. And suddenly I could do my own shows. And then... Uh, I think a very Dutch thing. <laughs> Suddenly, all the Dutch promoters were like, "Hey, uh, Reinier Zonnevel is doing really good in yeah. Germany. Let's book him." Hey, this is Rocco, Rocco from Awakenings. <laughs> Reinier, uh, can I book you exclusively for the next 10 years? <laughs> well, actually, that's, that's, uh, he was uh, sending me an email in 2016, um, and it was just as everything happened. I just get an email from uh, basically my dream festival to ever play there. Yeah. Like, I, like the first time I went there. Uh, I might not even been legally allowed to go in, <laughs> I think. But uh, no, no, I was 18. But um, I was always thinking like, fuck, I really, really want to play uh, on this stage. It would be the best thing ever, you know? If you do yeah. that, you can a die. Dream, a dream yeah, come really, true. You, can, yeah. you could die in peace, you know? I was always literally <laughs> thinking this. And uh, then I get an email from, um, from Rocco, uh, just with the title, Awakenings Festival 2016. And then the email was, what do you think? Question mark. Fantastic. <laughs> so I just told the case is real, you know, and I called uh, one of my best friends that I know for a very long time, uh, Axel, who is now my full-time manager. But uh, back then he was just doing as a, as a friend, just I would call him and, hey, what do you think to do about this or that? And uh, he was working that time 
uh, with uh, IDT. So he knew that it was the real email from uh, from Rocco, and he said, "Yeah, it's real." And well, just reply that you want to play. I said, "Yes, I want to play, of course." Okay, <laughs> see you, see you in June. You know, and I was like, "Fuck, it's gonna, is this real?" And then, um, yeah, the day came in 2000, yeah, 2016 in June that I uh, opened the Area X. Uh, so that's one of the tents uh, that you have there. And uh, it was also super full, like uh, for being an opening set, like yeah. there was immediately people coming. And uh, also that whole crew for the illegal raves from years ago, all these people were there. They came uh, to support you. Yeah, yeah, everybody. And it was, uh, yeah, it was super nice. And uh, a year later I was playing at uh, five o'clock, I think in the same tent. Wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's really like stuff that you dream about as a, as a kid already, yeah. basically. And Ro- Rocco, yeah. he's, he's such a boss. I, I know him from like 1997. I was uh, working in a vinyl, Dance music store, Bad Vibes, owned by IDT back then. Yeah. And Rocco came to do uh, the promotion for his awakening parties. And he said, Okay, can I can I put a poster on the door? So yeah, of course. But can I can I do it like uh on uh, on eye level so everybody sees it? <laughs> so, so that's how passionate he was about awakenings uh, back then in the 90s. That's still, you know, you gotta have love for him. Yeah, the, the yeah, definitely. But the brand that he built, yeah. that's amazing. It yeah. is really amazing. And what you say, like the love for the brand. It, it it's uh, still there after all those years. Yeah. It's like he completely goes for it, and uh, yeah, it's still still uh, the the best party techno party in the world, probably one of the best, definitely. And, and then, um, well, of course, you have to dream big, uh, Rainier. Your own festival um, that would take place last year, but because of COVID, now yeah. it's postponed. Yeah. Uh, how how did you came up with that idea? Oh, I actually had that idea years ago already. I did the first online in 2016 already. But in 2017, I did the first one in the Marcantine. That's sort of the home base for my all-nighters. And uh, that one sold out, the very first one. And we came, uh, we came with the ID, I think around King's Day. I, w- I was living back then in Berlin in 2017. And uh, together with, uh, with my manager, we went to the Marcantine to show us uh, a plan for a party. And actually, they invited me to be the support act of the Big X playing on Fridays. And, uh, and we came there. They thought it was about that. And then uh, I think he made a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation about uh, Filton Acid and the, the label. And it was just a couple of months after Carl Cox said yes to make a track together on Filton Acid. So we presented what kind of artists we had there. But it was also a bit tricky because he said he would do it, but we still had to go to Australia to make the track, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we came, we showed this and they were like, okay, nice. And then we said like, what do you think if we just do an all-nighter and we do it on, uh, and we do it on Saturday? And they were a bit like, Yeah, well, yeah, we can we we can try. Let's see. Uh, you, you you get the chance to try it one time, and they didn't take it take it too serious, you know. And uh, I remember when I was connecting all my gear for like the complete DJ booth full of gear that night. That um, like one of the guys from production was. Uh, I heard him saying like, "Yeah, there's probably going to be two three hundred people, so you can close this area." And then I was like, "Fuck, no, seriously!" <laughs> and then a couple of hours later, it was completely sold out and was full, and everybody was like, "Whoa." It did really happen. When is the next time you're going to do it? Like a gaande. Exactly, like a gaande. And then uh, two months later, we did the next one. And uh, yeah, it has been uh, one of the most f- fun shows to do. Definitely the vibe in the marketing is amazing. Um, the people coming there always come from the beginning to the end to ride the whole experience. Yeah. It's a magical, magical place. I did some Definitely. clubbing there yeah. in the early 2000s when it was called Kremlin. Yeah. Already, so I have <laughs> amazing memories yeah. of that place as well. So it's a, it's a holy ground. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so from that, uh, those uh, those parties, we got the idea like we want to do this outdoor. And I think in 2018, so a year later, we presented that idea to a festival organization in Holland. 
uh, and it uh, doesn't matter who it was, but they basically started laughing. <laughs> no, they, no, started, no, no. Uh, they started laughing and they said like, yeah, what the fuck do you think, you know, guys? Uh, me, yeah, come back in 10 years maybe. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so we were like, yeah, well, then we do it ourselves, we thought. But we need to find uh, yeah, a, a good production partner to do this. So it took some time and then uh, finally in t- uh, 2020, we uh, came across a very good party that could help us with building the states and have all the knowledge to build super big shows and everything. And we really wanted to do like a main stage, like you, just one main stage, how you would really see it at a festival with complete crazy production that you never saw before, like super weird things in there and just everything really custom made and a kick-ass sound system and just that. And let's yeah. go. And Str- they, Straightforward. Straightforward. Yeah. And uh, they really loved the idea. And um, we started making a plan. And uh, yeah, we started uh, the, the ticket sale. It's obviously super, uh, yeah, the moment of truth, basically. That was just before Corona. And basically in one night, we almost sold it out. And then the next day, the first Corona case in Holland was. Oh, and uh, yeah, so we closed the ticket sale. <laughs> because uh, yeah, from that moment, no, almost nobody bought a ticket anymore. Because yeah, the, it was very uncertain what was happening. Yeah. And uh, I have to say that in the beginning, I sort of uh, made myself believe like, yeah, well, maybe it's happening. You already know it's not, you know, by then, but you try believing. And then a couple of months later, you hear, no, it's definitely not going to, uh, going to work. So we postponed it to uh, 2021. Most people kept their tickets uh, because they just they didn't care that they want to come the next year. But that's really nice. Yeah, then this year, uh, I think the government said like, you uh, that festivals from July on they should try to organize it and you know like this so yeah should try to organize okay sounds good <laughs> let's go <laughs> yeah uh, so we put the ticket uh, sale back online for uh, for the full capacity and uh, I think the last uh, tickets we sold it yeah, basically in a night everything is completely sold out now it's crazy and uh, yeah I, c- I cannot wait till it happens uh, I, I just have the best hope for the 2021 let's see Exciting for all the people who are uh, tuning into the dance department backstage from uh, from abroad. What's what's the title of your festival? Uh, live now, so they can book tickets for next year or next edition. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. It will be amazing to have a lot of international p- people in front of the stage as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then you have your your record label, and I think COVID um, was also a blessing to for your focus for the record label because you're putting out so so many enormous, gigantic, amazing rave tunes. Thank you. So how's your focus on uh, on the label for the last uh, months? Yeah, le- last months got a lot better. I have to say that in 2020, I wasn't really completely happy with uh, what we did because most um, most of our tracks uh, on the label that become big, they really get big because of the dance floor. Like all the music I make, uh, techno-wise, and ever, all the music I release on the label, it's always like really made for the dance floor and really aimed at that. Uh, and I found as COVID happened like March, April last year, you, you don't really have the chance to prove the tracks uh, on an audience. And some of the tracks on FOA were a bit uh, different than the usual techno tracks. And it really helps uh, to let people experience that. And then you really feel the track, you know, like some some things just don't work when you listen in your uh, five euro earplugs <laughs> at home. You really need to feel them on a big stage. Yeah, you need to feel the bass in your yeah, stomach. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the whole experience of the track and the vibe and the party. And uh, so that took some adjusting also for myself to see like, hey, I don't want to release maybe too much. Um, and maybe keep like the really big bombs, uh, keep them for when the parties come back. But then at some point you realize that, yeah, it's also now and there's still music needs to be made. And even if it's at home, let's give the the best we got. So I contacted a lot of uh, artists that I really like, artists that we worked with in the past, um, and also new ones that I really admire, but really want to have on the label. 
and start to really think very deeply like which track would work uh, to release in a row so like artists would work to release in the next couple of months that has been working great and actually what's going out coming uh, coming this year is like super good we have um uh camel fat and rebuke with a collaboration that's wow. top top notch uh Ella Fitzpatrick is going to do an EP uh Carl Cox will uh, will come again to the label we have um Klops it's a Belgian guy I don't know if you know him. yeah I'm And I met him a couple of times. It's a super fun guy and really driven. Like works super hard in the studio. Great and lineup. Yeah, and he he, he made. Uh, yeah, also like, he also sent me 20 tracks that were super good. So for that I also had to wait. <laughs> But I think the next release in a couple of weeks is going to be from Clubs, and it's super tight, polished, but still rave sound. So it's dirty and uh, polished at the, at same, the same time. time yeah. And oh, very cool. very catchy yeah. and uh, and also a bit of a. Uh, yeah, very feel-good vibe in this music. So uh, Space yeah. 92, also yeah, very, yeah, very yeah, good. Space 92, yeah. also super good. He's also going to do a, a follow-up EP. Basically, the the artists have made so much good music also last year, I think, for everybody that could get um, over the, how do you say it, like the initial uh, <laughs> bust, so to say. Yeah. Uh, I've had a lot of time in the studio, so there's really so much good music being made now. Uh, and everybody's putting their full maximum effort Um, yeah, because they have more time and they can go deeper into the sound. So it's really in that in that sense, it's really uh, unbelievable what's what's uh, going to uh, be put out. I think on all the labels at this moment, uh, everybody gives their yeah. best. You know, they a lot of quality for, music. Yeah, yeah, definitely very cool yeah. progressive sounds yes. everywhere. Yeah, 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 for and, sure. And your uh, your track after uh, on the bus is that like autobiographical? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, the vocal <laughs> is recorded in uh, in a bus from uh, Berghain when I was living in Berlin. <laughs> And I had um, <laughs> I had a touring weekend, I think, from Thursday till Sunday in four or five European countries. And then I came back and I got a call. I usually would get a call like this on Sunday evening when I got back, like, hey, um, we're in Bergheim, uh, you want to join? And I was like, nah. And then I get another text, hey, you should really come. Okay, you know what? You know what? I just put my stuff uh, back at home and I uh, I, okay, walk, I walk hour. there and I, I check it for, I will check it yeah. out for one yeah. hour and then on uh, Tuesday you drive back in the bus <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's when this vocal uh, was made with some friends there and we just recorded it on the phone and uh, I think I played I played it for fun a couple of times but then every time I would make a new live version and at some point I just thought like oh, what I just put it out as a track and uh, fuck it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's very nice it's nice. a kind of a a cheeky party anthem, but still feel it's so cool, you know. Yeah, yeah, but the funny thing is also yeah. when you hear it on the big sound system that it's actually way more, um, uh, way darker than uh, than it sounds like when you just listen it at home. But yeah. just the whole beat and the vibe makes it pretty, uh, pretty serious. Even yeah. though the vocal is very, uh, you need very to funny. Sub, you need to subwoofer to yeah, really exactly. make yeah, the yeah, track yeah, yeah. Uh, come alive. Yeah. yeah. Do you do the like the book bookkeeping and all the stuff uh, around the label Filth and Acid? Do you do that yourself, or do you have do you hire some people for that? Now we have a, a great team lined up. Uh, actually, um, we were ex- we were on the the verge of expanding everything. So we we take on like personnel like only for Filth and Acid full time, uh, which we did not because of the the crisis. So we mo- work mostly with uh, with freelancers, but they always work just with us. So for example, the guy who makes the artwork, Mathieu Schellekes, is a super good artist. He has been doing it from the very first release till release, what is now somewhere in the three numbers. Every release, he completely draws it by hand. And then we have a, a designer who uh, colors it in uh, with the computer. And then somebody else who animates it, make an animation out of it. So we have like all these guys that always work together, that know each other, really as a as a team. 
And then the label, I own it together with uh, with a good friend and my manager, Axel. Uh, and we started the label together back in 2017, but we already had ID for it for years. But we thought 2017 was the good moment to do it. And uh, yeah, from the start, uh, it's really good to have him on board because I think with everything you do, it's good to have somebody involved, like really involved, that, that also um, works with you and that you can fire off ideas to each other. Yeah, It can be about anything, about any part of the of the label but if you work completely alone you would get lost because yeah. sometimes you also have a really shit idea yeah. there needs to be, there needs <laughs> somebody to be needs somebody. to say Rainier no yeah, not, exactly. great <laughs> idea we're not gonna do this yeah but also the other way around yeah. you know uh, not only for the creative part but also uh, of course uh, uh, the business part like are we going to do a vinyl for this release what are we going to do release next uh, with, with the, the label parties uh, internationally also like these kind of plans it's really nice to do it together Yeah. yeah, maybe you chill out ambient label one day. Yeah, well, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually <laughs> thought already about that. Uh, I, I might start uh, some uh, uh, some sub labels or labels on the side, but uh, it needs time. I make also a lot of different music, not only techno, but um, also classical stuff, film music, hip hop, everything basically. What uh, what what inspired you? Where would you listen to like as a kid before you began to produce your own music? What was on the stereo system over here? Uh, yeah, it could, could be uh, could be really um, uh, anything. For example, Moby or Rage Against Machine. So they have two <laughs> very different things. Uh, but also classical stuff, hip hop, immortal techniques, things like that. Yeah, it's basically too much. Like I think in every genre you can find something I like, and almost in every artist, you know. And for each yeah. moment there is music, right? For each different moment. Definitely, yeah. It's well, funny that you mentioned Rage Against the Machine. I remember there was a club night and Kevin Sonsen played with DJ Marcelo, the Waaksamheid, yeah. near Amsterdam in Koogendezaan. My first clubbing experience there. Uh-huh. And then it was midnight and then Marcelo dropped uh, Killing in the Name of by yeah, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, that's a good track. In I, the midst I, of a house set and the place yeah, went yeah. berserk and... I thought that was amazing as well. This, like, you know, yeah, it's fucking everything's nice. possible actually. I actually yeah. played it once. I have a remix of it uh, that I very r- rarely play, but sometimes back in the days I did. It. It's, it's, it's a fantastic track. Uh, but like this kind of things, like this tracks that are so outstanding, that have so, something so unique that you just cannot get around, even if you don't like that genre. Everybody has to admit that a track like that is just super special, you know. And there are so many tracks like this that it's. Um, the easy way to just uh, take a genre and say like, I don't like that. Maybe it just shows that I don't like 90, 99% of the music of, but still for everybody, there must be a track that you like. Yeah. If you, if you put in the effort. And I think if you play a track by the Prodigy nowadays, uh, production can be a bit, uh, you know, in, in uh, 2021, yeah. it sounds <laughs> a bit more crystal yeah. crystal clear and stuff, yeah. but still tracks like Smack My Bitch Up are yeah. still amazing as well. Yeah, yeah. and also that, uh, that drum loop from Smack My Bitch Up, which is basically just the arm and break, I guess. Uh, still a lot of uh, yeah. samples. Like I think that track is completely produced out of uh, as, as, uh, loops from samples that from that I took from vinyl for ver- from very diverse record actually. Like really your classic sampling stuff. But the funny thing is that these samples that appear in those samples from uh, tracks from the Prodigy are still being used today, but then in a different in a different way. Yeah, and that sort of set uh, the benchmark for. Uh, Or uh, do you say it? like popular uh, sampled music? Yeah, it's music. A, like recycle art. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it's an art in itself. I have to say that myself in the studio, I, I rarely sample stuff. I, I like to make everything uh, myself, you know. Like, uh, but it's also because I never did it. I didn't really get into that art form. And sometimes I see artists who do everything sample based, 
And the techniques you use there, you're basically at some point also almost synthesizing new sounds because you change the sample so much that it has nothing to do with the original anymore. Moby was really good at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and also to take the right sample yeah. in the right place. Like for example, Moby Go with the Twin Peaks uh, sample from the intro music. Yeah. That sample better than that you can almost ne- not get it, get it in the track. And I think just to select the exactly right sample and to, to hear that is also an art in itself. Make a composition with it. That's yeah, of exactly. Course, yeah. Like De La Soul did with the Three Feet High and Rising album back in yeah. the 80s uh, in the hip hop genre yeah. and Public Enemy and those kind of groups. It's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it is a different way of thinking. Like you listen to Paul Cogbringer also, for example, Burning Calling. It's also one of uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite albums from back in the days, from the Minimal Eight. But it's, I, always, I always assumed it was all produced. And then I looked on uh, whosample.com <laughs> and literally everything is just a sample. But for example, wow. also Aaron, uh, that whole track is just a, a track from Aaron Neville. Really? And Did, uh, didn't know that. If you just take out the beat and the synthesizer bass, that's the first 11 seconds of an Aaron Neville track. Oh man, I'm, I will check this. Yeah, cool. but, and uh, but then it's also so weird to to take that sample, sample because it's just completely different music, and then to imagine that that could work with the beat. That that is art in itself. Like nobody ever thought of that. Super random samples. Like the yeah, it is really things that just selecting that sample is already the art, really. Yeah. I had that with one hip-hop classic by Statsasonic. Uh, DBC let the music play. And it was also like a funk. They sampled a lot of funk bands. And it's yeah. so funny to check out uh, who sampled who at whosampled.com. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a funny uh, waste of time as well. Well, waste yeah. of time. It also really... Well, waste uh, of time. Well, <laughs> spending I, your time. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But I, th- I think a problem with uh, with this thing is that sometimes the I think the record labels or the artists or somebody involved, they take down the samples. So... Um, yeah. For example, I don't know if you know The Field. It's yeah, uh, yeah from uh, on Compact. They did some albums that I, that those albums that you can really listen 500 times to, you know, like everything you hear is something different. And that's all sample based, but like really tweaked samples. So he takes samples from a uh, very cheesy disco track, but it sounds like sort of ambient workout with a beat. And uh, it was su- super uh, cool to see where the samples came from, but they took it offline. So now, now I never know again. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming of, I read a great article on a Rolling Stone about uh, the music industry and blockchain technology and, and crypto, like, uh, what is it, the CFT tokens, um, to uh, make sure that artists uh, get paid for their for their rights. So I'm dreaming of a future that you can sample like anything and that in the blockchain, there's like a smart contract that says uh, this percentage goes to this artist, this percentage goes to this artist and nobody can like touch that. Yeah. And um, Rolling Stone also wrote in the article that with the new technology, artists uh, can be paid like instantly and don't have to wait for ASCAP or Buma Sena in Holland uh, for six months to get the money. Yeah, but I think they also, if they press enter, they can also play immediately. I don't think that really has something to do with the system. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's finance. Yeah, that's, that's finance <laughs> and it's an old corporate system. So exactly. I think that will change as well with the, with the new technologies. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, uh, hopefully. But also like, this is one of the reasons that I also don't sample too much because uh, from the beginning, I think in 2011 there was this uh, a track sampled from, and I forgot the name. It was a, it was a Turkish band that made a track and uh, uh, oh yeah, Juma Sound System. Oh yeah, Juma Legin. Or yeah, yeah, and they they, they sampled uh, they sampled 20 seconds. Yeah, Legin. They they, they uh, sampled 20 seconds from the intro and the band said yeah, that's completely fine, it's all okay. And then turned out the band didn't own the rights, but the band even didn't know that. I think. <laughs> And then the uh, right owner came and sued them. 
And I think they were from Sweden or something, Norway, yeah, Sweden. Scandinavian, yeah. There's really strict countries, you know. So the judge came and just said, like, uh, how much money did you make with the track? And they said, well, uh, yeah, some, some, some amount, not too much, because it's a digital aid, so you don't make millions with a track. And <laughs> then uh, the judge said, no, that's not true, because I checked all your bookings, and this is your only real big hit. So I assume that everybody bought a ticket to see you because of this track. And uh, you made a... A million, and I'm just going to find him for a million, and they went all bankrupt. Wow! And uh, that's very sad. Yeah, but it's also like, uh, and then on the other hand, sometimes there's a judge that decides, like, yeah, I cannot even hear that it's the same, you know. So it's like a very sort of um, uh, minefield where you walk in. So actually, because of that, I don't sample too much because if I do, I always clear it legally. And for example, on the Ibiza disco lines for my album two years ago, yeah, uh, there was some samples from a sort of cheesy '90s track. I don't even know the name anymore. Uh, it also took me very long to find because that track was probably also that was also sort of illegally sampled, I think, from an, from a disco track, and that track was <laughs> not online anymore because of that. Oh, and, so but I sampled offline. That, <laughs> I, I, I sampled that one. So to find the right, uh, right holders took them one year, and in the end, that uh, that sort of cheesy '90s sample that came from a disco track was owned by 30 people or something. And like <laughs> wow. this person had 1%, this person had 2% on this, this and this. But then also they had to look in the computer systems, but they're not linked. So somebody in the US had to check, somebody in Asia had to check, and it's all not linked. And everybody sent screenshots to each other and they were just finding out just hours and hours of work just to find out who owns the rights. I mean, how stupid is a system like this? Yeah. It's so, yeah. Old, so old school. Yeah. 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 We, we need a new system. Well, that's coming very soon. Yeah. I think within 10 years... Maybe we can uh, listen back to this podcast and we know, okay, blockchain took over. No <laughs> more sampling uh, everything. No more old school. <laughs> yeah, now you can sample any, everything. It would be yeah. great. Yeah. Or maybe you can get back to corporate finance and real estate, what your study was about. No, in no, one no, day. no, please. No, no, no. <laughs> maybe you can use your study to like open your own club one day. That would be nice. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't think you need uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need, you need finance skills to open a club. Yeah, of course, some, some, some money... Skills, but I don't. You don't need really finance for that. I would say. Uh, <laughs> would that would that be a dream of you own your own club? No, one actually, day it's, a, it's something really old school. But it's funny to say because I was a couple of weeks ago uh, with a friend uh, working in Amsterdam and uh, outside, and we were just walking around, and we came past uh, a nightclub that was was closed, obviously. Um, and um, uh, then we were talking about like how cool would it be that when everything opens again, that you have this small place. That only opens on Sunday evening and Monday morning. And that's when you come back from touring and when you feel like it, you just play there. And you don't announce a lineup or anything, you just go. I think after the current crisis, it would be the, maybe the only moment in the in the last 10 years that it would make sense to do that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, who knows? It would, be, uh, it would be super fun. Yeah. Or maybe uh, just a, a very small club on a tropical island somewhere. Now, <laughs> also, th for that, I also had an idea. And mm -hmm. due to global warming... Maybe uh, Tesla will be the new uh, Ibiza. That would so, be cool. So uh, already buying a club uh, in a couple of years, and then in 20 years you have Amnesia and DC10 uh, Tesla. Uh, <laughs> Amnesia. Yeah, that's one, one, of, one of the Dutch <laughs> islands for people that don't yeah. know. Tesla is one of the the biggest Dutch islands. Yeah, yeah oh, that's beautiful. A lot of sheep as well. Yeah, know, very calming for the minds. You know, yeah, when you get uh, home. Yeah, yeah. yeah it would be sheep. nice. Then you, don't, yeah. then you don't have to travel to Ibiza. You can just go by rowing boat almost. Yeah. So. Should open a few good coffee shops as well on this Tesla. Then, yeah, do they even have them there? Or I, do I don't think so. Uh, no, no. Uh, I'm a uh, yeah. Well, 
Maybe we, we can ask the people from the Dumpkring in Amsterdam to open, <laughs> open a Dumpkring. It will probably the... appear very <laughs> fast after the club will appear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Reinier, it was really fun uh, talking to you, man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank Same. you so much for your time, and uh, well, see you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Cool, man. Cheers. Five, three, eight. Dance department. Backstage. Dennis Breyer. Connect with Dance Department online on Facebook, Mixcloud, and 538.nl/slash Dance Department.